living in the small little Muslim village of Timib Tiban in the, on the island of Mindanao, our family was often visited at night by two brothers. The one was a, a young blind man. His name was Bibut, and he pumped our water for us at the well um, outside of our back door, uh, providing him a job that he would never otherwise have. Um, his brother was a young gay man, um, and the two of them would come um, after dark, kind of come in through the back door when nobody, nobody else from the village could see them um, being too embarrassed or socially unacceptable for them to visit us during the day. And they would come often just to hang out with us and visit with us, kind of reveling and the, in the acceptance that we gave them that they didn't have in their own Muslim village. Outcasts is what you could call them. Ever feel like an outcast? Um, maybe you were always the one who was picked last when teams were being chosen. Um, maybe you weren't part of the in-group at school. Um, you weren't cool enough. You were from the other side of the tracks, uh, from a poor family. Maybe you didn't have the latest, fanciest clothes that other kids were wearing. It can all be the same way at church or in the church often. Um, and maybe this is the way it was for you or maybe, maybe, maybe it's the way it is for you today and it took a lot of courage for you to be here. Or maybe you know someone who um, you know, didn't know the, the words to the songs, um, the right way to talk or pray, or behave, or you know how to do the rituals. You know when you're up, when you're down, when you're, when you can laugh, when you're supposed to be quiet, um, or maybe because of your past, or someone you know because of their past, the past, the things that that have been done, the way you've lived, um, that you you feel like maybe you're just kind of the outsider looking in, that you're not really a part of the in group. I've had people tell me, it's not me. Like they've got the feeling or notion that they had to become someone different. They had to become something that wasn't them in order to become a follower of Jesus. Is that you or someone you know? You know, in the history, in, in history, in the expansion of Christianity throughout the years, um, Christianity has often exported this perception, um, exporting Western culture or Western imperialism as Christianity. And so individuals who wanted to become followers of Jesus had to wear Western clothes, sing Western songs in order to become Christians. And so Christianity, as we've lived in different places around the world, and, and even here in the United States of America, if we go back in history, uh, often became known as the white man's religion. Um, 
despite the fact, interestingly enough, that its founder wasn't white. <laughs> he was Jewish. Um, and interestingly enough, was also an outcast <laughs> of his own people. So this morning, as, as we're continuing this, this series, the sixth week, into the beginning of finding, you know, how do we find God, or how do certain people find God? I want us to think this morning, who is Christianity for anyway? For nice folks? I mean, that would be all of us, right? <laughs> uh, white folks? Well-to-do folks? Folks who have their acts all together? And, and unfortunately, maybe that's why some of you are here this morning, is that you think that you got your act together enough to come to church. Is that what it means to have to be someone who comes to church? I wonder if that's why there are people who aren't here this morning. They don't feel like they fit into that category. Um, people we know, people we work with, live by, people we go to school with, think that this just isn't for them. They're an outsider. And we're insiders. And this isn't for them. How does a person such as that find God? And maybe more importantly, how do we help such folks find God? Who he really is. In order to do that this morning, I'd like you to take your Bibles and, and I'm going to read from this passage in Matthew. And we're going to learn from an outsider, someone who was on the outside looking in, and we're going to learn from them, I think, what God thinks about outsiders and insiders and how we can find God. Matthew 15, and I'm going to start at verse 21, if you want to follow along while I read. Matthew 15, 21. Leaving where he was, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. And Jesus did not answer a word. That's got to be at face value, one of the hardest phrases to understand in Scripture, as this woman is coming and pleading with Jesus, he does not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And so she's been pleading and pleading and pleading, and he's ignoring, 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 until finally his disciples are saying, get rid of her. She's annoying us. Verse 24, Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Verse 25, the woman came and knelt before him. Could also be translated bowed or worshipped before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, this is a hard phrase. It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. 
27, yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. I want you to stick with me, okay? These are kind of difficult words to read. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Verse 28, then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. There's only two times in the Gospels that Jesus gives this commendation to an individual. Two times. You have great faith. Your request is granted and her daughter was healed at that moment. Now I want you to notice a couple of things here. That the gal that we're looking at, that this text is talking about, first of all, she doesn't have a name. You know that? She's uh, not even the, she's a Canaanite woman. She is definitely not an insider, okay? Is that pretty obvious? She is not an insider. In fact, in the text, she's referred to as a dog, okay? We're going we're gonna to come to that in a little bit. Um, she's not a Jew, and to make matters worse, she's a descendant of the Canaanites the pagan, false God-worshipping, children-sacrificing people whom the Israelites, when they entered into the Promised Land, were to eradicate because of their, their horrible, horrible heathen ways. Now, on top of that, her life is obviously in shambles, right? She's not a very, you know, she's not a distinguished lady. Um, she's a pitiful sight. She's groveling before Jesus. She's pleading with him. Her daughter is demon-possessed. And, you know, the disciples and, and insiders probably could imagine why. And, and that's what insiders are to do, right? They're to imagine, to judge why outsiders are the way they are. Uh, and this is probably what they're thinking. Man, I bet her daughter's the way she is because she's illegitimate. Or she's probably a drug addict and her daughter's bearing the fruit of that. She probably hasn't worked in years or taken a bath or she's probably on welfare. She's probably, and the list could go on and on and on. Insiders evaluating outsiders. And we wonder why outsiders don't feel comfortable to be around insiders. Well, that certainly seems to be where Jesus' disciples are at in this text, doesn't it? In their compassion, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. She's annoying us. She's bugging us. She doesn't belong here. She's not one of us. Tell her to leave. But like I referred to earlier as I was reading this passage, for me, the mind-blowing thing about this passage is Jesus' response. (laughs) Look at these verses. Verse 23. As this outsider, this Canaanite woman, is, is hurting and pleading with him, Jesus does not answer a word. And then when he does answer, he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, and then again it is not right to take the children's bread 
and toss it to the dogs. Her daughter is terribly suffering. She's groveling. She's pleading. And Jesus, who, who we think of normally as kind and compassionate Jesus, is ignoring her, not answering a word. Okay, this isn't really the time to close in prayer, is it? Yeah. <laughs> Why is this? What's going on here? Why is Jesus responding the way that he is? Why is Jesus treating her the way that he is? We could say, is she too far gone? Is God not for her? Are there truly outsiders who are without, without hope of becoming insiders, of finding God? Well, before we look at the text, I, w- I want us to go back into the context, and, and it really helps us understand Jesus' response. If we were to go back to the beginning of chapter 15, verses 1, verses 1 through 20, which are, which are the context just before Jesus meets this Canaanite woman, it really helps us to understand the perspective of where Jesus is coming from. Um, As we come to chapter 15, I'm just going to kind of summarize it for you. It starts out where, at the beginning, where the, the religious leaders come to Jesus and says, your disciples are breaking the tradition of the elders. They don't wash their hands before they eat. That's, that's the context. And, and the religious leaders are really upset about this, that these disciples aren't washing their hands. And, and what's, from our perspective, kind of silly, but from their perspective, they were very, very serious. It's, it's not that their hands were dirty, okay? It's not salmonella that they're worried about. It's ceremony that they're worried about. They weren't ceremonially washing their hands. It wasn't about dirt on their hands. It was about ceremony and tradition. And, and they're upset because the, Jesus wasn't having his disciples go through ceremonial cleansing before they ate. That's the context. And, and Jesus responds, if you, if you want to drop down all the way to, um, to verse 10, Jesus calls the crowd to himself and says, listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. And, and again, it, it means morally or spiritually defile them. I mean, you know, I've eaten some stuff that's defiled me, okay? Right? <laughs> Had some stomach ache, and I won't tell you where it happened. It wasn't at the coffee oasis, okay? <laughs> Yeah. So he says, it, what goes into the mouth can't morally or spiritually defile, but what comes out of the mouth, that is what defiles a person. Let's drop down to verse 16. As the disciples ask for an ex- explanation, Jesus says, are you still so dull? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? And Jesus gives them a little biology lesson there. Verse 18, but the things that come out of a person's mouth are words, come from the heart, and these defile the person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. Verse 20, these are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. 
So this is the context, and we're going to just follow it through really quickly here. Jesus says, number one, food does not defile a person. If we were to turn to Mark 7, which is the parallel passage to Matthew 15, it tells us, Mark 7, 19, it says, In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Now really, this is the context just before he encounters this Canaanite woman. In, in, in explaining this parable, Jesus declares all foods clean, meaning all the foods in the Old Testament laws, which a person, if they ate, would ceremonially defile them. Jesus now declares all foods clean. But that's not all. If we were to go to Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 10, you can jot it down. We're not going to look at the passage, but if you were to go to Acts chapter 10, we see an interesting account of Cornelius, a Roman centurion, having a vision to send his servants to go get Peter to share the gospel with him. At the same time, Peter has a vision of a of, of a I was going to say a net or like a sheet coming down from heaven with all kinds of these unclean animals in it. And, 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 and the voice from heaven says, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, no way, Lord, I won't eat those because they're, they're unclean and I won't do that. And three times, three times the voice says, what God has declared clean, don't you call unclean. And the, and the crux of it in Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35, Peter gets it as he explains it to others. He says, God does not show favoritism, but all that come to him are accepted by him. It's kind of like the Gettysburg Address. And so food doesn't defile Jesus declares all food clean, but the point isn't just about food, but it's about that God sees all people as acceptable to him. He doesn't show favoritism. At the same time, back to Matthew 15, we see Jesus' perspective about these insiders, the religious leaders. In Matthew 15, 13, notice what Jesus says. He says, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. And he's talking about the religious leaders. They are blind guides. These people who think they're the insiders and are judging the outsiders, Jesus says, they're the outsiders. They don't get it. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. So that's the background as we come to Matthew 15, 21 to 28. So what's happening in our text here? Jesus certainly knew why he came and who he came for. I, in fact, I, wanted, I meant to read this earlier, but listen to a verse that Jesus quotes from the Old Testament in Matthew chapter 12. Verse 15, listen, it says, Matthew 12, verse 15, Jesus, it says, withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him. He healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill, Jesus did what he did to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. This is three, 
chapters before this encounter with a Canaanite woman. Here is my servant. This is a prophecy in Isaiah about Jesus. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one whom I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations, to the Gentiles, to the outsiders. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory in his name. The nations, all the nations, the ethne of the world will put their hope. And so Jesus certainly knew why he came and who he came for. In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world. And that is merely an expression of God's promises and heart as we see, like in Isaiah, throughout the whole Old Testament, beginning in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, where God blesses Abraham so that in him all the families of the earth will be blessed. And Galatians 3 says that's the gospel right there that's going to happen in Jesus. And so as, as we come, I, I'd like to just summarize six things that I think we see from Jesus' encounter with the Canaanite woman, his disciples, and the religious leader here uh, that help us to understand God's view of outsiders and insiders. I'm going to just summarize as we look at the text here. Number one, an outsider doesn't have to become an insider to come to Jesus. I think that's the first thing we see in this text and why Jesus ignores her to start with. As she comes to him, this Canaanite woman with no claim to being a Jew, she's not a Jew, she was to be eradicated by the Jews. She comes to him crying out, Lord, son of David, help me. She has no claim on the son of David, the Jewish Messiah. But it's her attempt to come to him and like relate to him that he ignores. I think it's really important because Jesus is saying so often we think that if I can just become an insider, then I'll be acceptable to God. If I can just act the way those people act and become like they are, then I'll be acceptable to God. Jesus says an outsider doesn't have to become an insider to come to Jesus. She doesn't have to come to him as a Jew, becoming like a Jew in order to, to be acceptable to Jesus. Her path to him is not becoming a Jew, and the path to Jesus is not through some kind of association or relation or connection. In John chapter 1, 11 and 12, great verses. Listen to this, John 1. It says, He came, speaking about Jesus, came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He, he was an outsider among his own people. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. 
not coming through some kind of connection or relationship or association, but coming directly born of God to Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you feel like an outsider, the answer to becoming an insider isn't by trying to become somehow like us. Or like someone who thinks an insider. Which brings us to number two. There are no insiders. There are no insiders. You remember what, what Jesus called the insiders? The, the religious leaders? He called them blind guides. And the dog, the Canaanite woman, whom they considered Dogs, a dog, he calls a woman of great faith. The only other time in the Gospels where someone else is commended for their great faith is in Matthew chapter 8. And it's a story of, of another Roman centurion whose child needed help. And listen to what, as Jesus concludes his encounter with this Roman, he's an outsider, he's not a Jew. Matthew 8.10, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus heard what the Roman centurion said. He was amazed and he said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel, we could say among the insiders, with such great faith. I say to you, listen to this, this is powerful. I say to you, Jesus says, that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the subjects of the kingdom, the insiders, so-called insiders, will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There are no insiders to start with. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Number three, Jesus became an outsider so we could become insiders. In Isaiah 53, 3, it says he was despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And, 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 and his, his own looked on him and despised him, and he became despised by them. Went to the cross, rejected by them, so that we could become insiders, brought into relationship with God. One of the most amazing verses in Scripture, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, says, He who was rich, referring to Jesus, rich, the God of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he who was rich for our sakes became poor, became a human being, took our sin upon himself so that we through his poverty might become rich. To put it in the words of this text, he who was an insider... <laughs> became an outsider so that 
through his rejection, we could become insiders. We could come into relationship with God. The, the biblical word for it is justification, to be, to be brought into right relationship with God because Jesus became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness, the in right relationship with God through him. Jesus became an outsider so that we all could become insiders. See, no one is an insider to start with. <laughs> Number four, Jesus is our sole hope of becoming insiders. You know, it was, it was the lady, the Canaan, this Canaanite woman, as Jesus deliberately ignored her, I believe pushing her to come simply to the point to where she says, Lord, help me. Lord, it's just, I need you. I'm not coming as a Jew. I'm just coming as a desperately needy woman. Jesus is our sole hope of becoming. He's it. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved. We can become insiders. And by insiders, I mean individuals in right relationship with God. Children of God. Man, it's a beautiful verse. And in, First Corinthians, in, in 1 John 3, 1, it says, See how great a love that the Father has shown us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I like how that ends. That is what we are. Do you want to be a child of God? It doesn't come through blood, you know, inheritance, association, connections, good works, it comes through relationship with Jesus. He's our sole hope of becoming insiders. We simply need to come to him with no, no other claim, no other right, no inside track. Uh, just as I am, without one plea, except your blood was shed for me. Number five, therefore, we who are children of God, it's so important that we do not create or hold on to any man-made requirements that keep people from Jesus. Anything that makes somebody think, if I want to be in, if I want to be in relationship with Jesus, I got to go through these hoops. I got to fulfill these requirements. Back in the New Testament, it was circumcision. And it was a tough thing for them to come to grips with that, that a Gentile, a non-Jew, didn't have to become circumcised in order to become a follower of Jesus, a child of God. They just couldn't wrap their minds around it. It's what the whole book of Galatians is about. Just by grace. It's just simply coming as an outsider. We're all sinners and coming to Jesus solely because Jesus on the cross has made it possible for all of us equally to be insiders in right relationship with God. And so it's so important that we who know Jesus don't put trappings around Jesus. So people think that, oh, you gotta dress this way, you gotta act this way, you gotta whatever, you gotta do whatever. It's just simply coming to Jesus like this Canaanite woman, Lord, help me. <laughs> I need you. Like the, like the tax collector in the, in the temple, it says, God, be merciful 
to be a sinner. I tell you, when we add anything, all we're going to do is make people feel like outsiders <laughs> and unable to come to Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and beat down by life, and, and I will give you rest. Finally, if you consider yourself an insider in right relationship with Jesus, child of God, it's because you know that it is purely by His mercy and His grace. And therefore, if you know that, if we know that, we have to therefore eagerly welcome all who are outside of Christ to come to Christ because it, it wasn't who I am. It's not what I did. It's not who I was born to. It's, not, it's just purely by God's grace. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. So, so I can't boast. You can't boast. We are children of God. If, if we're here this morning as children of God, we are here solely by God's grace because of what Jesus did on the cross. And anything we add to it that keeps somebody from Jesus because they don't think they can do that or they can be that, then we're wronging them. Last Sunday afternoon, I was at, um, at North Kitsap High School Auditorium um, for a dance fundraiser for the Coffee Oasis. I got to admit, I went to it kind of thinking, now oh, this is going to be rough. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. About 20 different dance, a um, whole variety of uh, several dance schools, troops that, that put on a, a, a program and um, raised about $1,000 for the Coffee Oasis. One of, the, one of the presentations was a ballet by, um, danced by two girls. And it was powerful, and it was to a song I had never heard before that I can't believe I had never heard it, called Orphans of God. And it is exactly what we're talking about this morning. And I want to read you the words. Um, I'd sing it for you, but I, I want you to hear the whole thing. I don't want you to walk out. <laughs> Orphans of God by Avalon. Who here among us has not been broken? Who here among us is without guilt or pain? So oft abandoned by our transgressions, if such a thing as grace exists, then grace was made for lives like this. There are no strangers. There are no outcasts. There are no orphans of God. So many fallen, but hallelujah, there are no orphans of God. Come ye unwanted and find affection. Come all ye weary, come and lay down your head. Come ye unworthy, you are my brother. If such a thing as grace exists, then grace was made for lives like this. There are no strangers. There are no outcasts. There are no orphans of God. So many fallen 
But hallelujah, there are no orphans of God. There's no one out there apart from the reach of God. <laughs> Too far, an outcast, an outsider. I mean, let's face it, if God would show his grace to us <laughs> and make us insiders, bring us into a relationship with him, then he can do that for anybody, right? There are no outcasts. Two things that I'd like to challenge you with. If you are here this morning and you feel like an outsider, I just plead with you, if, if, if we in the church or someone who claims to represent Jesus Christ has made you feel like an outsider, I'm sorry. Because there are no outcasts, no outsiders, no orphans of God. And, and I just plead with you to, to come to Jesus' welcome. Come to me, all you who are weary and beat down by life. You feel like you're an outsider because Jesus wants to give you rest. And what he did on the cross, he did to bring you, whoever you are, whatever you've done, it doesn't matter to bring you into relationship with the God of the universe. Number two, I wonder if there's some outsiders or an, an outsider that God is speaking to you who is a child of God here this morning, to show the love and acceptance of Jesus to this week. I, I'd like to challenge us who know Jesus to, to be looking to show the love and the grace and the mercy and the compassion of Jesus this week to maybe some people we've overlooked in the last weeks, people that we work with, we live by, we go to school with. They need to see Jesus, the Jesus that loved this Canaanite woman. Let's pray. Father, oh, what amazing grace. <laughs> amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Me, who grew up a self-righteous Pharisee, spending most of my life looking down upon and judging others. God, I thank you for your grace that reached out to me, a self-righteous Pharisee, and brought me and made me your child. Thank you, Father, for your grace that you've shown us in Jesus. Amen.